when a plane is crashing and there's nothing else for you to do, you can do two things. You can hear your brain saying, you need to get out. You need to get out. It's time to get out. You have to find a way. You can panic or you can surrender and say, there's nothing else for me to do. And you can start breathing. And that's a very harsh example. But we are in a state where we have to start sitting down and breathing. The solutions are not going to come in the head. They're going to come through our heart and through our intuition. Hello, hello. I'm Jocelyn K. Gly, and this is Hurry Slowly, a podcast about culture, consciousness, and healing. And today we're going deep into that healing territory as I am joined by therapist and all-around wise human Dina Shapiro for a conversation about how transformation really happens. We talk about how to shift limiting beliefs and how we get our bodies and our brains on board with manifesting a new reality. We dig into the difference between what happens when you do talk therapy versus what happens when you work with plant medicine in an intentional way. And we talk about how to think about healing itself, that it's really time for our focus to shift beyond simply healing the individual to healing community and healing the earth and really taking responsibility for your footprint as a human in the world. But before I introduce my guest, I just want to take a moment here for a quick aside to let you know that I am launching a brand new course in the near future. It's going to open at the beginning of next year, 2024, and it's called Finding Your Voice, a sacred practice space for honoring self-expression. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about it at the end of this episode, but I just wanted to give you a quick heads up. If you want to learn more, if leaning into deeper self-expression is something that feels like it resonates for you right now, you can learn more about the course at jkg.co slash voice. And now on to a little background about my guest before we get started. Dina Shapiro is a creative arts therapist. Early in her career in the late 90s, she created an art therapy program at Housing Works, which is a New York City-based nonprofit that fights AIDS and homelessness, for those of you who aren't familiar. Her program there emphasized the importance of creating an inclusive environment where Horticulture therapy, music, art, and community work were part of the center's offerings. She also taught as part of the New School's Creative Arts Therapy Program for over 10 years, and she has been teaching art therapy courses at Pratt in Brooklyn for over 20 years. Dina recently stepped down, but for eight years, she was the assistant chair and director of the Graduate Arts Therapy Program at Pratt as well. She is also the co-founder of Marble House Project, an artist residency program that sits at the intersection of the arts, community, and the environment. As part of her own personal practice, Dina has sat with plant medicine many times, and her work in the world now includes working with clients to offer spiritual guidance and help them integrate plant medicine experiences. 
Dina came into my life fairly recently, but she has quickly become a dear friend and a wise counselor. Dina Shapiro, I am so excited to welcome you to Hurry Slowly. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so Mm. much. Yes, yes. We're going to have to try and not be too silly today. I'll I'll try my best. (laughs) (laughs) So I just wanted to start out kind of simple and ask you what you're thinking about lately or what you're sitting with or what you're noticing. What's on your mind? Definitely not just one thing. (laughs) It's many different things from many different directions, mostly stemming from a place of healing, the transformation of what we used to consider healing or work on in terms of the individual. And there's always been gatherings of groups of people that are healing for a country or healing for a group of people or healing for a sick person. And then there's healing ourselves. And I'm, I'm hearing and feeling more and more, whether it's from my students, whether it's from clients coming in and looking for a, a, a deeper, meaningful healing that is not just based on feeling good in the moment. And because of that, it's not just healing self, it's healing community, it's healing the earth. And so everything that comes out of my teachings or my mouth or whatever it is, really kind of is, is dug out first from the ground or from the body. And it's been a, it's, it's, it's an interesting process. What do you mean about dug out from the ground or dug out from the body first? <laughs> That we've been doing a lot of healing for a very long time, just with our head. You know, we have all these mental illnesses, all these diagnoses, and little by little, we are getting more into the somatic work. We are speaking up for the earth. We are speaking up for our body. And so that feels a lot more of the feminine. And so many of the psychological, social environmental issues really stem from our relationship with our body. And that's been just coming in more and more, even the ancestral work that everybody's, you know, starting to work on. The trauma uh, comes out in through our body. Our body remembers. And so if our body remembers, the earth remembers, and the earth is waking up too. And integrating those two and making sure those connections are made at all times. Mm, Yeah, that really resonates. I've been thinking a lot about ideas along those lines lately. And I was recently talking to someone who is a real teacher for me and was talking about, you know, trying to shift really sort of foundational ideas and patterns and beliefs within myself. And what they were saying to me was that in order to do that, I really needed to figure out how to imagine with my body, imagine somatically what it would feel like to be in that you know, sort of new state or new place where I wanted to be, Mm -hmm. that it wasn't something intellectual. Of course, all the time we know 
we often know what would be good for us <laughs> or mm-hmm. we know how we would like for things to be, but we don't really feel it. Um, yeah. So I'm just curious to hear you kind of speak to that idea of learning how to embody or even just imagine your way into a new sensation. Mm-hmm. It reminds me when you say that, it reminds me of this word that you're hearing a lot right now is manifestation. How do you manifest? And your body has to believe that you are heading in a certain direction in order for something to manifest. And it's it's really hard to change our belief system. You know, our, our culture is also asking for a change in belief system. We're fighting with an old belief system versus a new belief system in politics, uh, with the earth, and with ourselves. And this new belief system is, for a very long time, belief came from the head. I believe, you know, I believe in God. I believe in Western medicine. It's a belief that's told, not experienced. And for a very long time, we believed what we were told. Um, and really taken away from our experience of what we feel. And this dissidence, this disconnect that's happening between believing in your head and believing in your gut has been filled up with a lot of garbage for a very long time. There's a real fight for old beliefs versus new beliefs right now, politically, uh, spiritually, <laughs> physically, and the earth. And to, to get into a place where we have experiences that allow us to believe something in a new way that shifts our fundamental uh, beliefs. And that's a big task. And it's a task that has to happen with compassion and slowly, because it, if it happens fast, then it's an old belief. It's an old way of believing. And that belief that was in the head now has to start with the gut, with the body, with the earth. Has to start from the ground up, not from the top down. Mm, Yeah. So I want to take a moment here to kind of, I want to keep going with this thread of beliefs, but I want to take a moment to zoom out and take a few steps back as we kind of dove right in, but I want to provide a little bit more context for the conversation. So one of the reasons that I wanted to have you on the show, besides just adoring you and considering you a very wise person, is that you've been a practicing therapist, a teaching therapist for 20, 25 years now. You've also spent a good deal of time sitting with plant medicine and you now do some therapy work that is around working with people around integrating those experiences. And I think those experiences for both of us, those experiences with plant medicine have been real touchstones. And so that's part of the context for why I wanted to have you on the show to talk about some of this stuff. So I wanted to kind of give that as a little bit of a backdrop for some of the stuff that we've already talked about and that we're going to move into talking about. So just for a little more context before we kind of dive back into this idea of, you know, changing belief systems and learning how to believe something new in the body so that you can actually manifest something new. I'm just wondering if you can talk a little bit 
for context about your approach to therapy and how what you find interesting in that practice is changing for you Hmm. and how your practice is changing. Well, I think that COVID was an interesting time uh, for all of us, to say the least. And what it brought for me is a, a, a deep introspection. And when I sat for the first time with plant medicine, it, it took me to a place that is not accessible in everyday therapy, talk therapy. You can get, you can get close to it with somatic therapy, with art therapy, dance therapy, music therapy. But for me, it took sitting with plants and listening to the spirit of the plant guide me in a way that's in a relation only I can with the guidance of the spirits of the plants and, and, and other guides that are around me to go to a place where I couldn't access. I think it's very difficult to access without, at least to know that it's there. Once I think you get to that place, you can, you can begin to access it more regularly without sitting with the plant, although the plants are always with you once you make them your allies. And so that gave me an understanding that my my life and this journey is one in this body and this form, but it is also part of a collective journey for everyone and part of the journey of this earth. And that puts a context into my healing in a very different way. It's not so narcissistic. It's not so self-indulgent. It becomes my obligation to myself is my obligation to the collective. And that changes the face of healing and recovery. And it teaches you how to heal yourself. And that's a very different concept in therapy. How does one heal themselves as opposed to even just go to a therapist and have the therapist, quote, heal you or help you, which I hope is not what people are doing. But very often we will go to therapists because we are having a hard time. We need help. We go to our psychiatrist because we need uh, the medication. And all those are wonderful and important. And then we have to continue to do the work. And we've been staying stuck in one place. And that kind of opened the door also in terms of how I want to teach the power of therapy, the power of healing, and what our purpose is. And so I think that's that's the way it's entered, my way of, of seeing therapy right now, really listening to my clients or listening to people that I'm working with in integration, using what they already know for themselves, of themselves in this world, and just going a little bit deeper into the collective with their pain, with their struggle. And I think some of that is also manifesting with the ancestral work that people are doing right now and the somatic work, what we carry that does not belong to us. And there is so much of that. (laughs) Mm, And what does that look like going a little bit deeper with the work that someone may may be doing into the collective? So, for instance, I mean, obviously, it's going to be very, you know, unique and personal to the situation, Mm -hmm. but... I guess I'm curious, like the type of question that you might frame or ask someone or reframe in a way that goes from the individual to the collective. Mm. 
I mean, something that came up real quick as you were saying that was when somebody is talking about um, uh, a pain they have or a pattern they keep repeating or a burden they're carrying, I will right away ask them if that's theirs. Is that something that you are carrying for yourself or does that belong to uh, ancestral or does that belong to the collective and really start to separate between all of them, really asking them, is that your burden? Just just a word that feels a little bit different other than let's see where this comes from. Let's see how we can untie that. Let's see how we can disconnect. Just using just that word, is that yours to carry? Already starts to kind of switch the way they look at their pain because they're thinking of ways of letting it go as opposed to trying to figure it out. When we try to figure out stuff, we're going further into it. We're holding on further to it as opposed to letting it go. Uh, that that is possible is something very foreign to us. <laughs> <laughs> Just thinking about some of my own <laughs> struggles mm-hmm. I create for myself and chuckling. Um, <laughs> so I want to kind of loop back to where we... Well, we all we all have that, right? We all have that. I'm not alone. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> so I I want to loop back to where we kind of started to dive in at the start, which is we were moving into this idea of talking about learning how to believe a new thing and how to specifically sort of believe that in the body. And so I'm curious what you think about the difference between the work that happens in therapy versus the work that happens um, when you're sitting with plants, when you're working with plant medicine. How do you see the difference there, what happens in therapy and what happens in plant medicine? Well, on a on a visceral, on a body level. When I think about therapy, it is very much a, a perspective of looking, looking down. It's, it's a little hierarchical where you're kind of, you know, opening yourself up, looking down and kind of digging in and further in. And when you're sitting with plant medicine and using them as your master teacher guides to work through some of your stuff, whether it's from this life or another life, you're looking at it straight on. You're in it. You are in it, as opposed to still removed and looking down at it. And that is a very, that is almost like waking up your body to start remembering how to shift that belief, as opposed to telling you how to do it. You're in it. I don't know if that makes any sense. It Um, makes so much sense. I feel that I have actually had that exact experience on both sides, because Mm -hmm. I was working with some ancestral stuff that Mm -hmm. um, came up outside. Well, it originally actually came up in a plant medicine ceremony, but then I was working with someone who does scrying and can kind of tune into past lives and ancestry. And she really helped illuminate some of the things that had happened in the past in my lineage. Mm -hmm. And I was already sort of starting to work with these ideas. Like I had a kind of 
ancestor altar that I had created in my house to do some healing around this. And so there was very much an intellectual awareness of this ancestral trauma. But then I did a plant medicine ceremony where it felt like I literally embodied the ancestral trauma. And there was something so, I mean, so unbelievably different and so powerful about Mm -hmm. feeling it, right? Like literally embodying it. And and that really changed my whole perspective in a way that, as you describe, seems like it would have been incredibly difficult to access Mm -hmm. through a more intellectual means. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you think about, um, let's say maybe like gestalt therapy or present-centered approaches to therapy, um, one of the reasons it's so powerful is because the healing happens right here, right now. It doesn't happen back then. It doesn't happen in the future. It can only happen now, just like breathing, right? Breathing, which is very healing and very centering, didn't happen yesterday and didn't happen tomorrow. It's happening now. And when you're sitting with a plant, there is no other moment than now. And when you are now in that moment dealing with ancestral stuff, you are healing it. When you are now in that moment working on your traumas, you are healing it. You are taking yourself to that place and repairing the nerve damage that also has created a pattern in your life that perpetuates older patterns. It's a healing on all levels. And I think that's that's very similar if you want to kind of compare it to, to different therapies that, that the here and now, the present centered approaches. Um, I think that's that's another reason why it's so powerful. And if we're not normally healing now in this moment, we're not necessarily in the present. Where do you think we are? For instance, you know, if I show up in talk therapy, how do you think I'm showing up? You're in your head. You're not in your heart. Mm. You're not, you're feeling feelings, you know, but also your brain is telling you what you're feeling because mm-hmm. we have a lot of stories attached to it. So it's, it's not, not necessary. It's just as it's important, but it's time to go a little bit deeper. I think that when we're, we're talking, when we talk, uh, when we read, when we write down, when we kind of fix things. We're figuring things out with our head. That's what our head does. It helps us to understand things. And it's been taking up a a center stage for a very long time. And our intuition, our heart has been, you know, infantilized, has been made not real, has been kind of put in a fantasy as opposed to a real tool for us in healing when you're i don't know if this is going to be a good example but hopefully it will (laughs) when the plane is crashing and there's nothing else for you to do you can do two things you can hear your brain saying you need to get out you need to get out it's time to get out you have to find a way you can panic or you can surrender and say there's nothing else for me to do and you can start breathing and that's a very harsh (laughs) example 
but we are in a state where we have to start sitting down and breathing. The solutions are not going to come in the head. They're going to come through our heart and through our intuition. Mm, I felt so sad when you were just describing the heart as a fantasy. I think it's so true, but oof. Mm -hmm. um, you and I were talking a few days ago about kind of going a little deeper into what we've been exploring, these imprints that we get from past traumas, from ancestral traumas, when we experience whatever that is, that harm, and often it changes our belief system when a, a new belief comes in that we have as a result of that and mm. to cope with whatever mm. happened. And we were talking about how plant medicine has this kind of unique ability to help us update those imprints, mm. if you will. Can you talk a little mm -hmm. bit about that? Again, it depends a lot on the master teacher plant you're sitting with. All plants definitely bring us to ourselves, but in different ways, different paths, different vibrations. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the plants we all hear about, ayahuasca, yay, wachuma. Talking about everyday plants too, thyme, sage, all the different plants, all of our allies that help us to understand ourselves a little bit better. When we sit with those plants, they give us an opportunity. They give us some time to breathe and some time to sit still and listen to information and guidance that we don't usually hear. And in that moment, it's a, almost like a, a new space, a new universe is opened up to us. And in that time, our brain and our nervous system, our, all of our systems that keep us alive, get an opportunity to rest from the way they are used to. And when they rest, they begin to repair. So, for instance, if you have somebody that has a lot of anxiety and they, of course, are worried about sitting with the plants and they, uh, they connect with the plants, they get the guidance, they go to a place within their journey that expands not only their consciousness, but expands their entire body into a new vibration, into a new way of looking. And as we're looking and as we're taking in, our brain is also taking in, giving a rest to the directions that it's been giving our bodies for so long. And even though, you know, once you come back to this world and you work on your integration, your brain is going to try because everything happens in balance. Your brain is going to try and balance you back into this world. How do I bring all that to here? And why am I not better already? But mm -hmm. there is, there is something happening in our body that is beyond our brain's comprehension. And that's when we need to start trusting that something is working beyond this brain's ability to understand. And that trust, you know, even though we might not believe it right away, that trust gives us a break with how things used to be just for a little bit so that the body isn't getting anxious so much with getting a break from that anxiety. The nerves get to have a little bit of a repair that happens. Little by little, I think that's how it gets into our system and we change beliefs 
change the trauma, work through it in a different way. Yeah. I think I talked about this on the podcast before, but as you were saying that it was coming in for me just to reiterate this point that I think it's something like 15% of our nerves are the brain communicating to the body, whereas 85% of our nerves are our body communicating to our brain. And so we think (laughs) that the brain is in charge. We think that we are in charge, but the body is really always Mm -hmm. running the show. And so to your point about having new sensations in the body about opening up to the body about relaxing into the body in new ways that seems to be even just based on looking very simply at how our our nerve architecture works that is what really has the power to truly shift things mm-hmm. and this belief that it, that starts to develop this trust that starts to develop and it takes time becomes the new information that is feeding the brain of what's happening. And also to add to that, I don't know percent because I'm terrible at numbers, mm-hmm. but there is some of our our brain matter in our gut as well. Mm-hmm. Some of that connection between the brain and the gut, which has been really ob- obstructed for a very long time between the foods that we're eating, the chemicals that we're putting in our body, it's been disrupted for a very long time. And sitting with the plant, that connection first also cleans itself out, but also then begins the connection in a much deeper way where you start to listen to yourself. And when you start to listen to yourself and to your gut, your brain response uh, starts to learn to respond differently to that. I'm feeling something, I don't know what it is, I trust that it's just change that I'm going through at this very moment in time. I'm telling myself and my brain that I am safe, that I am loved, that I am seen. And the brain starts to kind of let go of trying to control the narrative and attach to old stories. It's a whole system. When you're working with plant medicine, there is an alignment that happens between your mind, body, and soul. Um, and very often the first pieces of it is to clean that out, to clean all the toxicity and the stories and the trauma, to clean them out so that you can have a clear channel between all those parts of yourself. hundred mm, percent. And I want to loop back to something that you said earlier about having that possibility for rest and resting from the anxiety, because that is also an exact experience that I had as well. You're just describing all of my experiences, basically. Uh, I'll tell you why. Tell me why. Right. I have to say, because that is your personal work with the collective. That's why you're connecting to what I'm saying, because it's not personal. A hundred percent. And what I wanted to affirm was this idea of the relaxing of anxiety, which I think we all know is an extremely collective problem right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The first time that I sat with a plant medicine, the most remarkable thing that happened, and I'm kind of reiterating here for new listeners, people who've been listening for a long time will know this, was that I didn't have any anxiety for three weeks afterwards. Mm -hmm. And then it came back, but 
I had, you know, previously viewed myself as an anxious person. Like that was my identity. And I saw that that was not my identity. It was simply a layer that was being added. And to your point about it, creating this sort of more clear channel, sometimes I use the metaphor of, I have a wood stove in my house that I use a lot. And, you know, you use the stove and sometimes the wood, these toxic gases burn off and you'll get this soot that covers the the glass Mm -hmm. panel into the stove. And it feels to me like that's sort of what the anxiety is. It's this layer of soot or plaque that impedes you being able to see what's truly there and who you truly are. And yeah, so to have a a break from that, and of course it came back and then it was very clear, oh, my work is to understand what's been adding this layer. You know, what are the things that are adding in this anxiety and how can I how can I work with them? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really wonderful use of your brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way it should be. Yeah. And as you say, that's, you know, it's very much a collective problem. And of course, it's a lot of what I actually talk about and do in my work is how to kind of remove these layers of anxiety. So I think we'll get into that a little bit more, but I got my brief from the medicine for mm-hmm. for the collective I wanted to see if we could just go for a quick minute into, you were talking about, there's all this conversation about specific plants, be it ayahuasca or be it psilocybin or peyote that are very talked about. And so when we say plant medicine, we often assume that these are the plants that we mean and they are, they can be very powerful, but you were also talking about plants that I think many of us consider more like a spices or they're mm-hmm. not considered the great healers or mm-hmm. the great teachers. And I know that you have done a diet specifically with time. And I'm just curious if you could speak a little bit to your experience of that, just to bring in a sense of not just kind of romanticizing these other plants, but understanding that they all have different things to offer us. And also maybe just the context of what doing one of those diets means in terms of sort of cleaning out. Mm. Plants have been our allies from the beginning of time, right? <laughs> Literally, time, from the beginning of time. Uh, we've sat with plants, we've used them for medicinal purposes, for spiritual purposes, for, for uh, emotional purposes, uh, to support us in our process. And the farther we've come from living on the land that we are from, the farther we are from ourselves as a result. And so part of working with a a medicine person, medicine woman for me, in opening up the connection between the plants that you're working with so that you can commune, so that you can listen and learn from their teachings through your body, through your thoughts. And for me, time came in very strong with my teacher at the time. And um, I thought this is very silly. Everybody's, you know, always working with these big major plants. What am I doing with time? I mean, I cook with it. But it, it gave me an opportunity to work very closely with the plant in the way when they say dieta. For me, it was sitting and communing with time in isolation, um, drinking it, bathing in it, smoking it, meditating with her, and listening to what she has to say 
about her role and how it intertwines with my life at that very moment in time. I was going through a big transitioning, stepping down from my position at Pratt, really stepping in more into working with plant medicine integration and really listening to what she has to say and, and, and be my ally in this world. And I don't know if you want me to talk about what we talked about or what it was like. I'm not sure. Yeah, maybe just very briefly, just a sense of what the feeling was of what she shared with you. Well, the feeling was very much about time, obviously. (laughs) T-I-M-E. Yes, (laughs) T-I-M-E. And um, really listening to how to slow time down. One of the things she said to me in one of my meditations was, to slow time down, I just need to really sit and take deep breaths and how that kind of just slows everything down. And it does, it slows my heartbeat down for sure. And that divine time is no time at all. And really looking at everything that comes to me is exactly the right time for it to be there. So any situation that I am in, any experience that I'm having, whether it's wonderful or hard, um, it's exactly right. It's exactly in right time. And that was one of the biggest messages that she offered me. Hmm. Mm, Everything in right time. And that's a belief, right? Like fundamentally believing that even in all the pain, I am exactly where I need to be. Uh, And even when I am in full joy, I'm exactly where I need to be. There's nowhere else for me to be. And that creates less of like a victim feeling. Why is this happening to me? So this seems like a good time now to talk about struggle and to talk about joy. This is really a sort of two ends of the spectrum that I have been working with on my healing journey lately, talked about it a little bit in the first podcast episode of this season, really digging into some limiting beliefs that I carry around feeling like things should be hard or that they need to be Mm -hmm. hard and really trying to begin to let go of that and to open to a lot more lightness and to a lot more joy. I was reading a blog post by this woman, Gretchen Schmelzer, today. She wrote a book called Journey Through Trauma. And she was talking about uh, this idea of sort of the courage to be new and how uncomfortable it is to have new sensations, you know, to be experiencing new things. So maybe you have some sort of healing experience and something new comes in and I think we think because of the collective narrative that that will just be sort of wonderful, (laughs) but it can be quite uncomfortable. You know, it's new. You don't really know how to navigate it. You maybe don't know how to hold it. It feels very unfamiliar. You have all these habits that are built that aren't Mm -hmm. supportive of that. And one person wrote in the comments of this blog post I was reading, how can you learn to tolerate wings when all you knew were legs? (laughs) 
So I feel like that's a little bit where I am in this moment. I'm kind of like, I want to fly, but I only know how to walk. Like, how does that work? So I'm just curious, kind of your thoughts on this idea of the courage to be new and, and the challenge of that transition when a new belief or a new imprint comes in of, of really navigating moving into it. Yeah. I mean, I saw I saw this when I was working with people in recovery from eating disorders and addiction. Um, that the new experiences were actually very scary because the body or actually the mind did not know what to do with this feeling, didn't know where to put it exactly. And very often the joy, the excitement kind of just got sucked right into anxiety, got, got kind of put on the same shelf as where anxiety comes from. So it was very difficult to tolerate being okay. <laughs> like having peace. What does it mean to have peace? I don't know what to do with this. Uh, which also makes us think about why we're never in peace. Or this world never has peace. Um, and so I find that when we have an experience, it's, it's very similar to, I, I keep thinking about like when you go to yoga or you go to the gym and you're doing something you've never done before. And man, does your body hurt. Uh, from the awkward stretch or the push that it's never mm -hmm. done before and it, it hurts. But it's actually hurting because it's, it's never done that before. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's bad. It just means that you've stretched beyond what your comfort level is. And your emotions are very similar. When we stretch beyond our comfort zone, it's uncomfortable. And the new belief system comes in when you tell yourself, this is not the same pain as what I know. This is something different. Mm -hmm. You don't have to know what it is, but you have to start talking to yourself in a way that your brain kind of shuts down because your brain's going to keep trying to find a way, to, a place to put it. It just is. That's the job of the brain. Can't help it. And so you need to come in, you, your sovereignty, yourself has to come in and say, no, this is something different. This is something new and it's not familiar to me. And then you have to sit with it and, and allow your body to experience something new and different that's not familiar. And your brain is going to work very hard to try and put it in a category that's familiar to it. Oh, brains. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, what a burden uh, I was thinking about actually I whenever I get a massage sometimes they do that thing where they sort of cup the base of your skull and they kind of pull you know they sort of pull your head to kind of stretch out mm -hmm. and release the neck and I always just think oh just like can you just take it off like just take it <laughs> yeah <laughs> then I'll be okay <laughs> so I want to talk to you now about we we touched into before a little bit of the kind of personal versus collective and I want to kind of go into a discussion of responsibility now and I want to talk about how it's coming up for me in a really personal way but then I think it's going to kind of extend out into situating it in the collective and I want to share this personal piece because I think it's something that will resonate probably with a lot of folks listening and so one of the other things that has been coming up for me 
lately in my healing process is this idea of not taking responsibility for other people. And it's been coming up very strongly. And and to your point about these things showing up in the body, I also have a a strong injury of my right shoulder right now, you know, like it's just carrying my little, my little burdens. (laughs) And you and I were talking about this this idea of not taking responsibility for other people. And you said something to me about if you take responsibility for yourself, that you don't need to take responsibility for other people. So I'm curious if you could say a little bit more about that idea. Well, I think it's it's fairly simple. When you are responsible for yourself, that is where the energy goes. It doesn't go anywhere else. It's just working on you. So you don't take responsibility uh, for other people. When you take responsibility for yourself, you are owning yourself in that space, in that time, in the language. You are owning who you are so that whoever is with you has the opportunity also to take care of themselves. I know that we don't live in a world where that is very clear cut. But the more we focus on ourselves, not in a narcissistic way, but being responsible for our footprint, for who we are, um, that is the work we need to do. Nobody else's work. We are not responsible for anybody else's work. We definitely have a responsibility to take care of our children. Right, and the people we we are caring for that are in our care, but at a certain point, even our children have to take responsibility for themselves. Right, so maybe it's not even being responsible. We're responsible for guiding our children if we take that seriously, as we are responsible for ourselves. And in that action, the children can start becoming responsible for themselves. And so on and so forth. So I think that's what I mean by when you take care of yourself, you don't need to take care of anybody else because if everybody takes care of themselves, every everything is taken care of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's really interesting because I've been seeing this show up in such subtle ways. I notice that you know when something. I start thinking about something maybe that in myself that makes me a little bit uncomfortable or a place where I need to do some healing or a place that maybe is like a little bit triggering, then I'll see my mind kind of jump to trying to take responsibility for someone else. And, you know, usually it's in a sort of theoretically generous way, like helping someone heal or like helping someone solve a problem in these ways that don't necessarily seem problematic, but in in my own sort of ego and self vision, I could be like, oh, I'm being very generous. But I see that it's me just wanting to kind of turn away from taking responsibility for these things that I don't wish to deal with myself. And so I think I'm a little bit curious about how we can go. It, it seems to me that there's a way to go a little bit deeper into that. And then we get to this cult this connection, as you were saying, to the collective, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, if I'm fully taking responsibility for myself and what is mine, 
and also what is mine to do in this world, then I am in sync with Mm -hmm. the collective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And there's a big difference between taking responsibility or being responsible for ourselves and caring for other people. Mm. Right. That's, we can do both. We can care and have empathy and then take responsibility for ourselves. Not take care of ourselves, take responsibility for ourselves. What's the difference? Well, when we just take care of ourselves, we tend to sometimes not pay attention to the impact we make. But when we, when we take responsibility for ourselves, we are aware of our impact, right? Be responsible for yourself. Be aware of the impact you make. And by doing that, you are taking your responsibility in this collective. You can still care, care not to leave trash on the floor. You can still care to be kind. You still can care for leaving this world a better place, but you still have to take responsibility for yourself. Maybe we can come back now to what you were touching into at the beginning, which was this idea that so much of what brings us into therapy, what brings us into relationship with plant medicine, what brings us into any kind of healing setting is this very often individualistic idea, you know, that I want to heal me or I want to fix this particular thing about me Uh or I want to fix this particular thing about my Uh relationship to this Uh person. And, you know, you were starting to touch into how we really, because we are on this, to use your metaphor from earlier, we are on this plane that is going down (laughs) right now. We're certainly not on a positive trajectory. How that, how that, how we need to shift that into the collective, that it's not just healing me, that it's also part of healing the collective, that it's also part of healing the earth. How do you see that kind of through line? And like, what would you wish for people to kind of shift in terms of their perspective around coming yeah. into different healing practices? Well, when you take care, when you take responsibility uh, for your own healing, you you stop looking for external blame. And so when you stop looking for external blame for things that are being done to you, the solution is not based on the outside. The solution is based on the inside. I am working on myself. I am taking responsibility for myself. I am taking responsibility for the impact I make. And as a result of that, my interactions with the people around me start to shift. And as a result of that, my belief starts to shift and and so on and so forth. There is, that is the perpetual motion of going within, bringing whatever is within out, taking responsibility for it, bringing it out into the world, as opposed to looking for something from the outside world to bring back inside to change the inside. You know, we've been doing a lot of work in therapy where we go in and we try to change ourselves and hope that the world around us changes. 
Um, and we, we do that by taking the input from the outside, from the therapist, from the medications, from where we live, from social media. We take that in. We try to fix that on the inside. And then we go out and interact in the world and we wonder why nothing is changing or that it's getting worse. Because the work has to start actually from the inside out, not from the outside in. I don't know if that makes any sense. It does make sense. And I think very much consistent with that idea of vibration, right? You change Mm -hmm. your internal vibration and we all know how sound waves work. You know, they sort of progress outwards and so that, you know, you're changing that internal vibration that's necessarily going to ripple out and impact other people. Mm -hmm. I just want to ask you one last question. I'm curious if you would like to share one question for folks listening to reflect on about whatever you think might be useful. It could be something related to how they conceptualize their healing practice or how they think about responsibility or how they think about how they relate to the collective. Just a question for reflection. Well, I think one of the things that I've been working with and meditating on is what does walking in peace mean that translate into my everyday life? I love that. Thank you. I do love turning the tables and asking my interviewee to leave us with a question. And I will certainly be meditating on Dina's. It could not be more timely. I also want to note that this conversation, as with all conversations on this podcast, is for educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be construed as psychological counseling or as medical advice. If you do decide to investigate the world of plant medicine of your own volition, I strongly recommend that you do your research, do your homework, talk to your friends, talk to your trusted allies, and make sure that you find a qualified guide who is acting with integrity. As with any type of healing, it's extremely important to do the work in a space where you feel safe and cared for, and there is no need to rush into anything. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to stay in touch or learn a little bit more about my world and my offerings, you can sign up for my newsletter at hurryslowly.co slash newsletter. It's highly curated and I only send it every two to three weeks, so you're not going to get overwhelmed. And I also wanted to share that this January, I will be kicking off a new four-week course called Finding Your Voice, which is all about creating more space for self-expression, for releasing old conditioning around not feeling like you are allowed to speak, and for trusting yourself to really step into your voice and start to let your ideas and your offerings flow freely. I was originally planning to run this course from mid-November to mid-December, but for a number of reasons, I decided to shift it into the new year, and hopefully that will make it possible for even more folks to join. The course is going to be running January 3rd through February 6th. And as per my conversation with Dina, I really do believe that we are all on a collective healing journey at this moment. 
And I think that we urgently need to hear from new voices, that it's time for those of us who have been silent to give ourselves permission to speak. And this course, Finding Your Voice, is really about opening up space for that expansion. So if the idea of moving into deeper or more authentic self-expression resonates with you, you can learn more at jkg.co slash voice. That's jkg.co slash voice. Registration for the January session is now open, and I have an early bird special running now through December 15th, where you can save 30 bucks on your registration. All right, I think that's all that I have for you today. As always, thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. And remember to hurry slowly.